best jobs in college football, as well as talking about Harbaugh getting suspended. All that and more here on Unfair Sports, where we take a pensive approach to the sports conversation. I am your host, Jay. Thank y'all for pulling up here on the YouTube channel, as well as listening wherever podcasts are downloaded and listened to. While you're there, please like, subscribe, rate, review, give us five stars. You don't think we deserve it? Just give us five anyway and gift it. So... On today's episode of Unfair Sports, we got a lot of stuff to dive into. We're going to have some fun doing it. We're going to talk about the top jobs in college football. Which ones do you feel like are real and which ones make no sense? We'll talk about Jim Harbaugh's deciding to uh, self-impose a suspension. And we're going to dive into some ACC action. We'll talk Florida State, Florida State versus LSU, as well as the recruiting that's going on with Florida State and uh, the excitement down there in Tallahassee. Hit us up on the Unfair Fan Line, 430-901-1906, and let us know what you think of the show. We would love to hear from you all and give us all your strongest opinions. And also, you can check us out on our Discord. The link is in the description. So hit us up, 430-901-1906. What is good, my people? What is good? Thank y'all for pulling up to the channel. We are back. Yeah, I owed you this episode last week but life happened so i decided to go ahead and just move it to this week and so here we are don't worry the goal is to keep to keep it going um as far as the cycle goes bring you all this fire content every single week next week we will have the unfair sports uh preseason poll and i'm gonna go ahead and give you a disclaimer right now because I hate preseason polls. I hate any poll before week four of the season. And so, um, as I told you on the last episode, the goal here is about seven minutes of con seven to eight minutes or eight minutes or less of content, uh, per segment, just talking latest news in college football. And that's going to be the focus this year. And if things grow the way we like, we may dabble into other sports, but as of right now, all college football, because that seems to be what uh, the people want. You know, we don't know what it means, but it is provocative. So we're going to focus on college football. And so, yeah, now that life isn't as crazy as, as it was for me, I want to dive into my first topic of discussion, which is the top 16 jobs in college football. This is one topic that I thought was going to be fun to talk about. And my goal is to bring some buddies on to talk the second topic that I got. But 24-7 put out this graphic, right? And with their graphic, they put out two. The first graphic is this one, top 16 jobs in college football. And then they had another one about the greatest programs in uh, AP's top 25 greatest programs in college football history. So AP put this together based on, on a formula developed by College Football News using every final AP top 25 poll ranking since 1936. Fascinating polls. But this top 16 jobs got my attention. And it got my attention for two reasons. Number one, they picked 16 teams. Why not 20? Why not 10? What may, do we have like some close ties throughout this to make it where we go to 16? Like what was the reason for us to be talking about 16 teams? That is the probably the question I would like to ask you all. You can all hop in the comments and let your boy know what your thoughts on that. Because looking at this, I'm looking at these 16 jobs and I'm going to be honest, I was completely blown away by the selections. And so let me explain why. I feel like a lot of this really is comprised of a lot of recency bias. Let's go down this trail with me, folks. 
We have Georgia, Texas, Alabama, LSU, Ohio State is your top five. And then going into your top ten is USC, Michigan, Florida, Notre Dame, Texas A&M, wrapping up your top ten. Then you end things with, in the last six, te- last six teams, you got Oklahoma, Clemson, Tennessee, Florida State, Auburn, and Penn State. And this is what I'm trying to figure out. What is the criteria that is chosen to pick these top 16 jobs? Because if I'm looking at my criteria, this is the unfair sports criteria on uh, what I would personally consider as a reason to pick teams. It's this. First off, so they're looking at things. They're looking at like, let's look at 24-7. This is what they've got. They've got recruiting success, resources, facilities, conference revenue, NIL efforts, support from boosters, quality of life, and security. Cool. That sounds awesome. I still feel like they put nothing but recency bias in this. So this is what I looked at when I talk about mine. First off, I want to have a job that's got Support from the administration, support from the boosters, support from the fans. And when I say those three, I'm talking about jobs where the expectations are high, but I'm giving the opportunity to go after them. So one of those jobs where you can win 10 games every single season or nine games every single year, you're not worried about being on the hot seat because you're consistently winning and the goal is to try to get over the hump. At some point you will. Then I look at how stable has this organization been over the last, we'll say 23 years, since 2000. And coaching, how many coaches have they had? How often are they recycling them? That goes to the three things, your administration's um, support. We'll look at facilities. We'll look at NIL efforts as well, as NIL has become a big deal in all of this. But when I look at this, I would not have Georgia at number one. There's nothing about Georgia that's told me they should be number one. Now, I think Georgia is a top five job, but I do not think Georgia's number one. And so we're going to go through mine. I'm just going to give you the top 10. Top 10 jobs in college football that I feel like, based upon me and what I think is worth having. Because I'm going to tell you this, Notre Dame is not in my top 16. I think they're one of the worst jobs to have. And it's not because there's anything bad with Notre Dame. Is One, it's really hard to recruit there. Granted, uh, that's one big problem. So they can never get over the hump, especially in modern football. And number two, they don't have a conference affiliation. And I don't, is it that big of a deal in the conference affiliation? No, but I think that that does hurt on the recruiting side. It can. Notre Dame is a national brand. They're big. I get that. But yeah, that's kind of the hurt for me. So let's look at this when it comes to these jobs. At number 10, Texas. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to say, well, Jake, what are you talking about? You're just a hater because you hate Texas. I mean, that's top 10 in the country. I mean, that's that's pretty high, right? Right? Texas is number 10 because stability. They, they, they make the top 10 because of money, but there's nothing stable about that. I mean, Sark has gotten the opportunity to do this, you know, two, he's got two years. He, first year he had a losing record. Second year he had a winning record. So the question is going to be what Texas looks like if they do what they've done over the last 15 years this season and go with another eight win season or less. Do they give him more leash or do they try to find a way to fire him? 
That is my concern with Texas because that's what Texas does. Their boosters are all over the place. And so I can't give Texas any type of respect any higher than that because that is what we're used to with them. They're willing to fire coaches and get rid of them because the boosters at the top don't agree to things. That's just what it is. Number nine, I'm going to go ahead and go with A&M. I think A&M's right above Texas. And I say that because they're willing to pay guys and let them sit for at least five years. They'll give them a chance. Now, is there going to be success there? It's all based upon how they pick them. But job-wise, yeah, everyone wants to take that job because they're going to pay you a whole bunch of money. Now, if you're good, you'll win, but we're learning. This is very hard to win at Texas A&M because, I mean, they haven't won in, what, like 50 years? Something like that? I don't know. I need to look that up. I don't really care. You can hop in the comments and tell me how long it's been, but I'll tell you this. Texas A&M is not someone that I feel like you can be, a school you'd be successful at. It just ain't. That is just, I mean, just looking at it, they haven't been successful, man. It, it's, it's bad, but the money helps them in Texas stay in the top 10, period. That's just what thing you're going to get out of it. So we'll go with that. Number eight, I'm moving Clemson up here. Clemson deserves to be in the top 10 because it's a really good job. Now, Dabble Sweeney has made it good, but I think Bowden, you know, Tommy Bowden did, did well when he was there and they actually gave him an opportunity to try to be successful. Luckily, they got a coach that they backed up. The administration gave him time to figure things out and he's been successful. And so there's a little recency biased in that, but as of right now, we're gonna look at the recent stuff. I think that they deserve to be a little bit more respect because they're giving their coaches the opportunity to be successful. And so I'm definitely moving Clemson up there because they're one of the teams that I don't understand how anybody thinks that you don't, you don't, they don't deserve respect. You see what I'm saying? Um, if you know how to coach, you can go to Clemson and keep that ball rolling. And that's the hard part is can you recruit? Can you bring the staff together? that can recruit well, keep a good culture, and they have a really good culture and go out there and win. That's something to me because the culture is already good, tells me that there's stability there. They can they can falter a little bit, but I don't think that the Clemson administration would kick Davo Sweeney out of there. I think he's there until he decides to leave, in which he has a provision in his uh, contract. Uh, to about Alabama, that's kind of my thoughts on that. So, at um, number eight, we've got uh, Clemson. Number seven, we'll go with USC. And I say that because USC does give coaches the opportunity to figure it out. I mean, Clay Helton's been there. I mean, they gave Lane Kiffin a little bit of leash. Um, their problem has been their athletic director part. Their administration hasn't been very stable over the last few years and they haven't really made very good choices, but they just made a hire recently, uh, Jennifer Cohen from, uh, Washington. They brought themselves a new AD in. And so we'll see what that looks like. We'll see what it looks like when it comes to getting the NIL efforts up as well as making sure that they are scheduling some really good non-conference games, even though they're now in the big 10, I think non-conference is critical. USC usually does uh, take on some really good teams. And so I think that that moves them up that ladder in that one. The only thing is you'll be in California. Taxes are pretty high. Um, and if you're not winning a lot, you ain't getting fans there. But if you are winning, fans will show up. They'll, they'll pack the house. They're very good at the bandwagon side of it. Y'all can be mad at me all you want. There's pictures, evidence of Lincoln Riley, you know, his first year that, that y'all didn't have very many people there, but then it started to fill up as the, the success followed. You, the fans there aren't very, 
very yeah uh, dedicated. But overall, the brand itself is still strong. So we're gonna have USC right there at um, number seven. Six, we're gonna go with Michigan. I think Michigan should have been above USC when I saw this because Michigan's gonna let their coaches have time. I mean, Harbaugh's still there, and honestly, after the years of getting shellacked by Ohio State. I'm surprised he still got the job. But guess what? They gave him an opportunity to. They let him figure it out. So that's the case. Mad respect. I'm going to be honest because I did not think that they were actually going to give him the time to be able to do that, right? I thought that they were going to try to find a way to get rid of him, and they didn't. So, yeah. I mean, what more can you ask for out of um, your administration to give you the opportunity to try to figure things out? Uh, now we get into the top five jobs. Now, my top five jobs are going to be a lot more intriguing and interesting to a lot of you because there'll be a little bit of homerness in there, but at the same time, um, there's going to be some some truth to what I'm picking. And so... At number five, I think it's Oklahoma. And yeah, they've got Oklahoma at number 11. I think Oklahoma's number five because they have really good administration. They've got great support from not only the fans, but the boosters. Um, facilities are solid, and they're doing nothing but improving them, especially going into the SEC. Oklahoma backs up their program, and I say that because they, they are consistently in the top 10 in revenue every single year, I think over the last like five to 10 years. And we even saw one year Oklahoma brought in more revenue than Texas. Yes, that is very much true. You can Google it. I, I'm going to pull it up. I think it was the 2020 season, uh, 2020, 2019 season. They actually brought in, they were the number one revenue generator in college football uh, from the football program. They outdid Texas that year. Yep, it was Oklahoma. Wild, right? So that makes them a top five job. Plus, they give their coaches opportunity. Three coaches since 1999. I mean, the 90s was not a good time for Oklahoma, but that was also riddled with all the sanctions and stuff from, I guess, the Switzer era. But they let their coaches have some leash. First time had, the Sooners had a losing season was last season on the Venables, unfortunately. But at the same time, they're figuring it out. And that's the way you have to give them respect that they're going to let him do his thing. And Venables walked in and he could have probably poached a bunch of players from Clemson and he didn't. He let the players leave from OU to go to USC and other schools, but he did not poach anything from his old school and he allowed his team to be built the way he wanted to be built. And so I say culture wise helps. I think that that makes them good. Mad props to, I think, I think that helps for Oklahoma getting him into the top five. Number four, I'm going with Ohio State. And I think Ohio State's one of those jobs that, yeah, mad props to anybody that gets that job because you're probably not going to lose it. Yeah, Ryan Day did was born on third base, as Jim Harbaugh stated, and he's done nothing but keep them winning. He's still winning. He just can't beat Michigan right now, which is two years in a row. Fascinating, right? But they were kicking Michigan's butt for years. He hasn't been able to figure it out, but – Ohio State lets their coaches basically hang themselves, which is a rarity. You know, not very many programs do that. My number one program does the exact same thing, but they win championships, right? I mean, they've had two, and Ryan Day has been fighting to go play more. So 
they they deserve to be a top five job in college football because they are. They're a job that you want. You get that job. You're not leaving that job. Um, that's kind of what makes Oklahoma at five because it's a job you would get. But if you don't understand how to recruit at Oklahoma, you're going to leave Lincoln Riley. I mean, he left because he didn't feel like he could recruit to the for the SEC in Oklahoma. And Oklahoma comes out with the top 10 class and a top four class right after he leaves. And so that tells you enough about um, – what Oklahoma can do. So at number four, we're going to go with Ohio state. My number three job in college football, you're going to think it's weird, but I'm going to go with Georgia recency bias. Yes. They have been super successful, but at the same time, this is something to also remember is that Georgia let Mark Richt just basically hang himself. He, they were there forever. They let their coaches coach for a long time. And as long as they're winning, no one's fighting it. And Georgia does the Georgia thing. They won two national championships with Kirby Smart, but Kirby walked in, had to clean house, do his thing, and they and they support him. They support him in that state. That state is right there, ripe with talent. USC would move up, but a lot of those Cali players have been leaving the state. So, you know, you got to put the borders around your state, and unfortunately, they're not. Same thing with Texas. You're seeing kids leave Texas all the time. They're going everywhere in the country when you get the opportunity. And so, but Georgia has get starting to get better about keeping guys in state um, or at least recruiting next to the states to them. You got Florida right there. You got Alabama. You've got a lot of close talent that you can go after. So you almost don't have to leave your backyard to really uh, be successful at that job. And like I said, the administration allows you the opportunity to do that. They've got a nice NIL. They're spending money. I'm getting Georgia there at number three. My number two job, this is going to be shocking to you all, is Alabama. And I say Alabama for one reason. I think it's the best and the worst job in college football. Hear me when I say this. It is the best and the worst job in college football. And this is the reason why I say that. One of the best, a top two, because it's Alabama. You'll be able to recruit off history, prestige, all of that. Administration is the boosters. They, they put all kinds of bonds together and stuff to get new buildings and new facilities. They're, they are willing to invest. But the chickens got to come home to roost. And at a certain point, if you ain't winning up front, they're going to run you out of town. They're going to want your head. I mean, I'm waiting for them to say that about Saban. But the good thing about Saban is he's got six rings. Don't be stupid enough to add tail, say that Nick Saban ain't got it no more. I mean, he got nine five stars in the last class. He still got it. But at the same time, Alabama is one of those jobs that stressful, man. Expectation is national championship every year. And if you're not getting it, people will start talking crazy to you. That's the funny part. You can't just win 11 games. You can't just win 10 games. You can't just have winning seasons. You have to win titles. And so that's what makes it probably the worst job and the best job at the same time. You get all the support you need, but whoa, the fan expectations are going to be high. And the unfortunate thing for them is, man, they got to find the next uh, Nick Saban whenever he decides to retire, which is probably in 10 years. They better hope Dabo Sweeney has still got it. They better hope that he ain't quit because of NIL. Let's put it to you that way. And so, Bama, number two, the number one job for me in college football, y'all going to be surprised. I think it's LSU right now. Yeah, I know. LSU? What the heck? Why LSU? It's crazy. Here's why. Y'all know. Y'all should know this. Since 2000, LSU has won three national championships with three different coaches. And we're going keep it, to keep it a buck. Y'all only think one of them is a good coach. You don't think the other two are. Y'all question them like forever. And the funny thing is the second coach to win that championship there, he was supposed to take the job at Michigan. 
during the national championship. Like the expectation he was going to leave that school to take another job and go to his alma mater, Les Miles. Like Kirk Herbstreet said it on college game day that Les Miles had agreed to terms with Michigan to take the job. So if the expectation there at LSU is that, you know, they're going to, you know, win championships. Um, talk to me. What, what makes us think, you know, that, that, you know, coaches are supposed to leave. Like what makes us think that that's a good job? My reason is that literally three, three titles, but three different coaches, you go there, you're going to win a title. Hate to say it. Brian Kelly's going to win one. Eventually you could throw a rock and hit five stars and they do a great job. Used to getting back to it, locking up the talent in the state of Louisiana. Like if you ask anybody in recruiting, the first thing they will say about LSU when it comes to recruiting is a top player, probably going to go to LSU, which is even funnier because when Brian Kelly first got there, they didn't get most of the best players in Louisiana. Those guys were leaving the state. And so if you got top tier players, no matter the conversation, like right now, Dominic McKinley, top defensive lineman, top player in the state of Louisiana, everybody's like, well, LSU's in it. When, Everybody, all the insiders are saying, no, doesn't look like they got a chance. But guess what everybody's saying? Everybody around is saying, no, LSU's got a chance. We don't believe it until LSU ain't in it, is what we can say, that they won't win it. So I, I say LSU's number one. They've got good boosters. They will let coaches hang themselves. And that's what happens. Coaches hang themselves. Les Miles was running a, a pretty bad organization and stuff was going down and got fired. Then you had... Ed Ogeron, who, you know, went out there, won a title after USC wouldn't even give him the opportunity to be a head coach. And he had an interesting uh, time at Ole Miss. Just love the book that Bruce Feldman wrote, uh, The Meat Market, about recruiting and following Ed Ogeron and his story. Fascinating story. Go read that book. Um, but he, yeah, he basically hung himself. That's kind of what happens when you go to LSU. They just kind of hang themselves, and that's how they end up being – um, they're losing the jobs. So if they if they're gonna give Brian Kelly enough leash to do it do his thing, you can't argue that that's not a good job. And if Brian Kelly wins a national championship, that should be the most coveted job every time it opens because they're giving you the opportunity to win. So that's my thoughts. Hop in the comments, let your boy know how you feeling. Where am I off? Which job is better? I would love to hear your thoughts. All right, everybody, we've got a special guest. We got my guy, TJ Pittinger from the Double Fries No Slaw uh, YouTube channel, mainly a Florida State channel, but he does a lot of other content. TJ, how you doing today? I'm good, man. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm glad you're able to pull up with us and talk some Florida State ball. There's so much going on right now with you all, and I want to lead off with recruiting. Because um, it's crazy. Florida State is sitting right now roughly in the top five in just about every single uh, recruiting site. You all are killing it today with it. Latest wins with, um, who was that? It was a Charles Lester III. You added KJ Bolden, which Wilt Fong wasn't even prepared for that one at 24-7 for you all to get. Talk to me about the recruiting that's going on there at Florida state. Cause it looks like the skills position, you guys are just batting almost a thousand right now. Yeah, they've, they've been hot and they've done a really good job. And I think a lot of people talked about this. We tried to talk about this. Um, Florida state was coming off of really one of the worst five-year stretches 
I mean, certainly in my life and in most living fans lives, right? Like you can go back to the sixties if you want to find a worse stretch, but you know, they were coming off a pretty bad five-year stretch from 2017 to 2021. And uh, you had three different coaches in that span. You had a COVID season, which I know everybody else had a COVID season too, but you had a COVID season with a brand new coach. Um, you had a lot of roster turnover. You had Florida state really aggressively attacking the portal to try and plug needs immediately as opposed to, you know, the long process of recruiting new guys and developing them. And a lot of like, man, will we ever recruit well again? Will this ever kind of train get back going? And I think that then people forgot like how Florida State recruited for like the last 30 years before that batch. I mean, Florida State was like a monster in recruiting and they they kept the Oklahomas and the UGAs and the Clemsons and Ohio States and Bamas from getting, and so did Florida and Miami too, but like they kept those kids from going out of state. And then Florida State slipped up a little bit and wasn't very good. But, you know, a lot of the, a lot of it is just kind of a reminder of like, hey, when Florida State's actually winning, um, they can be really good. And fans of, of the Seminoles wanted to know last year, hey, why are they not, uh, why aren't they? They just had a 10 win season. Why isn't recruiting taken off? And the recruiting calendar is, you know, this, but it has moved up so much that, you know, to be cliche or to use like kind of a new saying that that cake had already been baked, right? 2023 class. Yeah. That was what it was. Um, they had some nice wins there. They did some things. They got top 20. That's fine. But yeah, with a, with a 10 win season behind their backs, more stability. I don't think any, you know, Mike Norvell went in the last season on the hot seat, you know, he, he won eight games in two years. And so there's more stability. They're winning again. They're top 10 in the country everywhere, uh, according to national polls. They're relevant again. And then they also have a pretty healthy NIL right now in Tallahassee, it seems as well. Recruiting is bound to pick up. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And Norvell was given the time to try to basically rebuild. Like you said, the last stretch was horrible. Once Jimbo Fisher was gone, it just – I you, you all just – fell into oblivion at that point. And I was fearful that, you know, this was going to be something longstanding, but Novell has shown us after getting that 10 win season last year that, yeah, this, it takes time. It's a process. And he followed the process. He stuck to his guns and made it happen. And so mad props to the way that he's doing it today. And so it's funny. So as I move on to this, there was a tweet, someone, of course, one of your rivals decided that he needed to come after you come at your throat. And I, and it's funny, your interactions with folks online, but it was a Miami fan talking about their recruiting in the trenches, specifically on like the edge and defensive line. And your reply was you pointed out where you are rated in comparison at the top five. They're not knowing in the top five. But I thought it was fascinating that that was their attack point was on the trenches when this is the theory that I have that you all are doing right now. Bring in a player like Jared Verse, Albany State. He's a monster, very much under-recruited, not really paid attention to, and boom, you bring him in last season, he kicks butt. We thought he was going to the draft, and he decided to come back. But then you all went back into the portal and got more players like him. You saw, you picked up a Gilbert Edmond uh, from uh, South Carolina. And you got, oh, was that Braden Fisk? Who yeah. I, I wanted him at Oklahoma. And so <laughs> it seems like going into the portal 
on top of getting some recruits is showing some is paying dividends for that defensive line. Do you, is it, do you feel like you all have a really good eye when it comes to going after players at smaller schools and bringing them in and them hell being dominant? Yeah, I think Florida state had to attack the portal almost out of necessity. And, mm-hmm. and so again, coaches just don't get enough time to turn things around anymore. Uh, it is like win now. And so Florida state had to go to the portal to accomplish that, to, to try and make that win now happen. And um, so almost out of necessity, they did that, but then they proved to new guys in the portal or future additions, hey, we can develop you here and we can get you to the NFL and we're a prime destination. And so what was maybe born out of necessity has now turned into a massive, massive strength for the Seminoles uh, going forward. because if the high school recruiting picks up and they're able to stay top five and they can continue to pull in absolutely elite day one type guys like verse and Fisk and Mm -hmm. others that Fintrell Cypress was the best corner in the ACC last year. He's in Tallahassee. Now, if they can continue to do that, Jaheim bell from South Carolina, it's, it's game over for a lot of Florida state schedule. And so I, I do think, you know, in speaking with some folks in Tallahassee and on the staff, I think there are certain positions they really want to develop. I think defensive back is one of those. Wide receiver is one of those. Running back, obviously QB, right? Uh, tackle. But there are some positions I think they can they they know that they can go get NFL type guys and have them for a year or two out of the portal and and be really successful. To me, where I think the portal kills you is when you lose them after one year. And Jermaine Johnson came in and made a massive impact, but just having him for one year was rough. When you get guys to play multiple years, Johnny Wilson, Jared Verse, Jamie Robinson, Fabian Lovett, all those guys that you get more than one year out of, that's when I think you're really kind of striking gold in the portal. And so, yeah, I think there are some positions that, not that they would ever go exclusively portal or exclusively Mm -hmm. recruiting class. I, I do think, though, there are some positions like defensive line, defensive tackle, defensive end, interior offensive line, where they know they can go be pretty successful in the portal. And see me personally, I was saying the same thing about Oklahoma. I was looking at how the recruiting has been going for us. I was saying, you know what, what would make sense is to spend some time in the portal and going for some guys, some of those guys, because what I've learned about, especially those quote unquote diva positions, it's funny. We would think that the diva spots would be like your wide receivers, your skills positions, your DBs, the ones you're used to, but no, nowadays it's your trenches and your quarterback because they're really the most important and they're the hardest ones to find to be at the elite level. There's so many wide receivers that can show out if you can just refine a lot of their skills and their speed, but skills wise at the line, it's so tough to find those ones that are elite. And so when I was looking at this, I was like, okay, if Oklahoma can do something similar to what Florida state's doing, get those guys in a portal, especially if you get these defensive linemen that have kind of been humbled, they go a year or two and it doesn't work out the way they think it should be. Or they're like, you know what? I need better development because I'm not getting it here. They transfer out, go to another school. Jared Verse leaving Albany State dominating, coming to Florida State yep. dominating again, recognizing that, oh, additional development's going to make me do nothing but ascend. I think that that's a big play and that would be a big one for not only for you all and us, and I agree, probably not exclusively, but leveraging that as a tool to, to fill those gaps, man, I think the transfer portal is going to be huge for you all. So let's move on into this. 
There's a lot of craziness going on right now with the ACC and Florida State looking to get out. I watched your video you had around like the grant of rights and how there's potential ways for Florida State to get out of this TV deal and be able to move around. So talk us through that. Do you really feel like Florida State's going to be able to get out of this with, I guess, Clemson's? It feels like all the big schools want out because the small schools are definitely not uh, carrying their weight like they're supposed to. But do you see yeah. that this actually goes down? Do you think that that Bill of Rights is a possibility you all can, or the grant of rights, apologies, you guys can find a way to get out of this horrendous TV deal. <laughs> yeah, so there was a deadline that was just passed, what, uh, a day and a week ago, if this comes out on Wednesday, mm -hmm. uh, on August 15th, and Florida State needed to announce their intentions of leaving the ACC if they wanted to play in a new conference in 2024. And I was pretty, I wouldn't say adamant, but I was pretty sure that they were not going to do that, that it was probably more like, They'll play 2023 and 2024, and they'll be in a new conference in 2025 would be my best guess. Now, could anything have happened? Could a, a big offer come in from the Big Ten or something? Absolutely. Uh, I think 2025 makes more sense for a myriad of reasons. We always tried to point toward that date when we were talking about stuff yep. with obviously the, um, you know, hey, it's possible that we get out. But, yeah, I do think Florida State gets out. I, I mean, I, I think that. Um, you know, there have been things rumored, you know, and so you have to kind of like check where, where you're hearing stuff from this, that, and the other, but it is a major focus. The folks that I've chatted with at Florida state that cover Florida state, just really from all aspects, I've spoken with folks at Clemson who have said like, Hey, yeah, they're, they're working on it. They're, they're looking to get out They're They're doing anything and everything that they can. I thought Florida state's board of trustees meeting, which made national news and everybody mm -hmm. was kind of like logged into and tuned into it was certainly the most uh i spoke with somebody there you know most uh, you know uh, virtually attended board of trustees meeting probably in the history of college or you know college uh, you know any anywhere uh but yeah okay. i i think that they will I, I would i would put it at like i don't know something really high 95 percent that florida state is playing in the new conference in 2025 and that's not you know, nobody's told me that I haven't spoken with somebody at FSU mm -hmm. that said like it's done deal or anything like that. My money's on them being able to get out by, I think 2025, they'll be in, if you had to ask me right now, same thing as Oklahoma, I think they'll be in the sec. Wow. Okay. I was about to ask my next question was which conference do you think was going to be able to move them in the next question. So, so right there, we're thinking sec potentially for Florida state. And I'm guessing you got to bring Clemson with them because it only makes sense that the conference is going to break up. You got to bring the two biggest programs from the conference into the sec and just make sec basically the powerhouse of college football at that point. Cause I saw that, what was it? Uh, majority of well, th there wasn't there was not enough quorum when it comes to voting in bringing in Cal and Stanford potentially. Talk to yeah. me. What was the pushback on bringing in those schools into the ACC, especially from the F of Florida State side? If you have any insight, yeah, I think with Florida State, you you mentioned the grant of rights earlier, and that's a you know anywhere from a three hundred to five hundred million dollar you know kind of. Uh, price tag or weight that it carries with it. But if the ACC goes away and the ACC dissolves, um, then who do you, who, who do you need to pay that to? Right. Who, who do you owe that money to? If, if, if you, um, I don't know if you owed a credit card and then that company went out of business, you don't, you no longer owe that credit card debt. I mean, I'm not telling you to run up credit cards, hoping that you know, capital one goes out of business or anything, but yeah. So in theory, if the grant of rights, or I'm sorry, if the ACC dissolves, the grant of rights is going to go with it. And so I think from the Florida state perspective, 
you know, I don't necessarily, we've done some content around eight teams possibly getting together and dissolving this conference, um, you know, relatively quickly. I don't know that that's necessarily a thing, but if you look at what happened to the Pac-12, the Pac-12 lost two of their more valuable brands and they didn't add any teams and eventually they dissolved, right? Like, I mean, mm-hmm. we're seeing them dissolve now, right? Colorado left, all the other teams left. They're a Pac-4 right now. They're trying to hold on to anything they can or maybe realign with some stuff. But the ACC does at least have enough foresight to see like, hey, Florida State and Clemson are leaving. We got to add more teams to this thing. Because if Florida State and Clemson leave, let's say before next year's August 15th deadline, and that might not actually be the day, but whatever the deadline is in August next year, if Florida State is to leave then, and then let's say North Carolina and North Carolina State and Miami and one other team leave the year after that. You're like two teams away from just all you like this thing's like about to burst open. So I think the ACC wants to add as many teams as they can right now to, to kind of have some kind of a safety net. Now, is the ACC even a power five school at that point anymore? Probably not. Like it's a group of five type thing, but that's better than not existing. And so I think if you're Florida State, you want it closer to potentially dissolving down the road. You also are fighting with the ACC and ESPN right now to try and get out of the ACC. And so you're not going to do them any favors, right? Like whether that's petty or spiteful or whatever, like if you're fighting with somebody, you're not going to just automatically try and help them out in any way possible. So I think if you're Florida state, if you're Clemson, you're trying to do a couple of things to kind of CYA, right? Like protect Mm -hmm. yourself to, uh, you know, whether that be for the short term, long term, whatever. So yeah, I think that's why Florida state, Clemson, UNC, NC state, are pretty against it. I've heard others are, are not for adding teams either. Other teams that think they have a landing spot, maybe Miami, but those were the four teams that were named as not being with it uh, as far as a vote goes. Yeah, I think the thing that bothered me the most about it is how Notre Dame has a vote and is petitioning for it, but they refuse to join the conference. Like, wh- why don't you just go ahead and just be part of the conference, make it a lot simpler for everybody else and, you know, really put your weight around because and i get it they want they like keeping their independence and keeping their own tv deal because granted their tv deal is amazing uh is there anything that the acc could do to even keep florida state and clemson and them around would it need to find a way to change the the way the payout is or is there anything out there that could actually convince them to keep them around You know, I think it'd be tough. What Florida State's been asking for is unequal revenue sharing and in the way of media views. They don't want unequal revenue sharing based on, you know, oh, we make the, you know, the the conference championship so we get a little bit more money or we make the playoff, we get more money. They just want it based on the media deal. And Florida State has kind of said like, okay, well, if we do that, we could be competitive because we'll at least be in the same ballpark as some of our competition and, you know, what some of the SEC and Big Ten schools are making. But the ACC has pretty much said like, hey, there's no chance. We're not doing that. And so if the ACC was to do that, maybe. But then I think they're going to want Florida State to sign like an even longer grant of rights. Like they're not just going to do that. If they were to give the unequal revenue sharing, they're going to say like, okay, well, now you're locked until 2045. I don't think at that point Florida State would say like, "See you, dog." Like we're not we're not doing this. So yeah, very little chance. I think that, I mean, the ACC just didn't have any weight to be able to throw around. But like, if they could have gotten Notre Dame to to join like a year ago, or if they could have maybe gone after some other teams, um, you know, I don't really know who holds enough weight to really matter. But that you know, people talk about West Virginia or maybe Oklahoma State, something that's kind of like regional with when with where they're at. Maybe you add those two teams and a Notre Dame, and then you've got an 18-team conference that's that's pretty legit, you know, like something like that. Then maybe it would work out. But, yeah, I think at this point, like, there's no real chance of, of it being held together 
at all. I, I think it's pretty much done. No, that makes sense. It, it, you would think the ACC would find a way to keep their, you know, cash cows happy and keep them around. I mean, hell, the Big 12 did that for Texas and allowed them to have the Longhorn Network in order to keep them around specifically because of that. And then, you know, after a while they decided, now nah, you're not doing enough to actually get past 10 teams. You're still stuck here. We're going to leave. And now the Big 12's got like 18 teams. So they've decided, right. they figured it out. Like they got desperate and then realized, oh, right. we need to do something to fix this. And now luckily they'll be one of the three big dogs left once we really see big conference realignment. And so, it's going to be an interesting piece going forward, but I don't know. I am, I am. I think regional-wise, when it comes to college football, we're done. Uh, we're losing the regionalization of it. It's just going to be completely national. At some point, the NCAA is going to be gone as the, the governing body because they're too incompetent to figure out how to make sure things work out properly for everybody. So, um, yeah. well, we got my guy TJ here from Double Fries No Slaw, Florida State uh, YouTube channel. Go check him out. Always great content there. Let's dive into the big game, first game of the season, September 3rd, LSU, Florida State in Orlando. So, guy, you guys kind of, in theory, get to have the pseudo home game this time around because it's close to your house yeah. instead of being in New Orleans like it was last year. Now, that game was, of course, wild. It was a 24 to 23, the block kick and just all the just shenanigans going on. I have already I'm putting together my 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 preview for each conference and I'll put it out there now. I have both you and LSU leading your conferences this year. So this game is going to be pivotal on pivotal on who gets a playoff spot at least guaranteed because I believe the winner will most likely go undefeated this season. The loser will probably only have one loss and still win their conference, but it's going to be intriguing. When it comes to Florida State, what do you think you all need to do to win this game? Because luckily, both of you are bringing back the quarterbacks from last year. You're kind of the few teams out there in college football that has a veteran QB presence, while Florida State also brought back dang near the entire defense and like the whole team. So how how you all feeling? What do you think you all need to do on the offensive side and defensive side to win this game? Yeah, I think the game really comes down to, uh, and and probably for both teams, right? I know you didn't ask me from the LSU perspective, yeah. but probably for both teams, it probably comes down to limiting the other team's X factor. Um, and so I think that, like you mentioned, both teams bring back a veteran quarterback. Both teams bring back a lot of production on both sides of the ball. Um, both teams are, are ultra talented, really kind of everywhere. Um, but yeah, when, when Florida state's on offense, I'm, I'm wondering where Harold Perkins and Mason Smith are every single play, right? <laughs> like, and I know Mason Smith in the middle of the defensive line every time. So maybe that's an easy one, but I am, I am making sure that that blocking assignment to send an extra guy his way is legit. Now Florida state likes to run the counter a lot. And so getting to the outside is not typically too, but they don't try to go up the middle a ton. And so maybe that helps with that issue just a tad but yeah it is limiting the production the superstar ability of of harold perkins and and making sure that mason smith isn't just an absolute monster i know he's been held out of some practices precautionarily you don't necessarily like to um hope that a guy's hurt or anything like that but i do hope he's 100 percent for week two is all i'll say <laughs> like you know after after he plays but now like all jokes aside like you got to limit those x factors i think that Harold Perkins is the kind of guy that could have literally like four sacks and 
a strip and a fumble recovery for a touchdown. And you're just like, oh, that's our hell. So, like, if he does that, they're winning the game, right? Like, so, I mean, that, but, like, you know, by the same token, they probably say the same thing about Jared Verse. Right. Um, so, I, I think that it's limiting the X factor. And then same thing when Florida State's on defense. I mean, I – this is no shot at Jaden Daniels. I think Jordan Travis is slightly better quarterback Agreed. than Jaden Daniels. I mean, he's got slightly better Heisman odds. I, I, I think he was just more consistent last year than, than Jaden was. But I still think Jaden is, like – top 10 in the country. Like, I don't, that's not a shot at him. I think Jordan's a little bit better, but I think Jaden's still an X factor. And how well does Florida state um, look to control his legs? Do they spy him? I, I think Kalen below should be a really, really good option. Florida state's like fifth year senior uh, linebacker. Uh, how, how do they look to defend him? I like Florida state's secondary uh, against LSU's uh, wideouts, not to shut them down or, you know, hold them with that. But I like that matchup. I think we'll do a good job there, but, Man, you know, if he takes off a few times and breaks off a 40-yard run or a couple of 20-yard runs, or how does that change the game? So it's limiting those X factors to me. And, and again, that's probably the same thing for LSU. Right. It's how do they limit Jaheim Bell? How do they limit, you know, Florida State's wideouts and, and kind of the X factors that the Knowles have on that side? So whoever does a better job of that will probably end up winning the game. No, I definitely agree with you there. And having Jordan Travis and the combo of him and Keon Coleman, which is – probably the combo I want to see lock up this year. It's going to be a fascinating setup. Um, yeah. In the run game, though, who's in the backfield right now for Florida State that everyone needs to pay attention to? Because I know there's been some movement, but what, what, is it, what does it look like there for you all, especially going into this game? Yeah, so Trey Benson, I, I saw Pro Football Focus, and you know people either love PFF or hate it, but Pro Football Focus has Trey Benson as their RB1 for this next year's upcoming draft, which is – Nuts to me. I, I certainly thought he was like top 10-ish in the country. I didn't know that I would um, put him at, you know, top top one. But uh, Trey Benson's Florida State's running back. He ran for 990 yards last year, fell just short of that 1,000-yard mark, but really didn't start getting rushing attempts until week three or four or five. Right. You know, like Trenchon Ward was kind of your number one all year. And, uh, you know, Benson had some monster games against – uh, Miami and Florida down the stretch and, and was really pretty key for, for Florida State throughout the year. Um, I, I think that he's somebody that the Knowles have a ton of confidence in. Lawrence Toffili backs him up. He was you know a really good second, third option mm -hmm. for the Knowles last year, and they like some of their young guys as well. But as much as we mentioned Jane Daniels' legs, Jordan Travis can take off and do some pretty ridiculous things on the ground as well. If you watch that Florida game, he did some things that were nuts. And so uh, I think that in the backfield, the running options are – pretty plentiful for the Knowles as well. Yeah, and, and then one thing I did notice about you all is you have a lot of a very much a big veteran presence on the offensive line and really redshirt juniors and seniors. So a seasoned offensive line feels like that's all you need to have in order to be successful in this game against uh, LSU, especially as you made mention, stopping Harold Park, Harold Park and stopping Mason Smith. If you can slow them down, it feels like, this is your to win. And, and the Trayshawn Ward piece is kind of shocked me that he transferred out. But at the same time, as Trey Benson is number, is like RB1 for the draft, yeah, he's probably going to lose his job, even though a nice uh, one-two punch <laughs> would have been great to have. We totally get it. Okay. Um, wrapping up, what do you think is the uh, the final, um, final score of that game? And what do you think the record is for Florida State to end the season? So, yeah, I think Florida State wins that game. I – Maybe I'm a homer. I'm wearing an FSU shirt right now, though. So, you know, shirt and certainly going to kind of lean towards FSU. But like I said, I think Jordan Travis is slightly better. I think Florida State's weapons on the offensive side of the ball are slightly better. You mentioned Keon Coleman. I mentioned Jaheim Bell. 
We didn't mention the six seven Johnny Wilson, <sighs> who was a nightmare for. Teams it was a nightmare for us in, in the Cheez It Bowl. Even, I remember. <laughs> yeah, he didn't even he didn't even do anything in the LSU. I think he had like two catches. So like, I think that Florida State on the offensive side of the ball is a is a nightmare for teams. You mentioned the offensive line; they're they're the most veteran offensive line that's ever existed. Um, they they have more snaps combined than any other offensive line I, since I think they started keeping the snaps. So like. Maybe there's something back in like before 1980 or something, but they're a ridiculously veteran offensive line. I think they'll be like top 20-ish in the country. I don't think they're the best, but I, I think they are really, really talented and, and you know, top third or, or so of college football. Um, and then on defense, I, 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 you know, I do really like their X factors, but I, I know that they've got some concerns at, at defensive back. And so I think that lends itself to, you know, as long as special teams don't, I mean, there were two muff punts in this game last year. There was a blocked field goal, a blocked point after a touchdown that everybody remembers. Certainly special teams and X factors could make a difference. But if everybody kind of plays a clean game and, and plays a bit up to their ability and everything else, I think the Knowles win something like 31, 24. I don't think it's a blowout. I, I don't think it's, you know, I don't think either team runs away with it, but I, I think the Knowles are, a little bit better than LSU at a lot of spots. He said it's kind of the quasi home game. I think the Knowles LSU doesn't get revenge from last year. Um, and the Knowles find a way to win it. I've got 11 and one. It's really hard to predict 12 and Oh, I think the most likely place to stumble is going up at, at Clemson three weeks later. Uh, wouldn't be shocked at all. If Florida state was to lose that game on the road in death Valley. I think they've lost like seven games there. Like the last 10 years or something ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, we were one of them, but um, it, you know, it's a hard place to play. It wouldn't shock me at all. Florida state lost that one in a rematch in, in December in Charlotte uh, to go to the playoff. I, I don't know that I'm predicting, you know, 12 and one ACC champs playoff yet, but I, I think that I think they've got a good chance to do it. I think they beat LSU and then probably get tripped up one game along the way somewhere. Uh, but I like 11 and one. I, I like that as well. I mean, I, the bigger problem is, is that it's back to back traveling weeks. You go to Boston college first and then you travel to Clemson. And mm -hmm. so Boston college fights you all hard. I think it's because of the color schemes being yeah. similar. They like to give you guys problems. <laughs> uh, You're the fake. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what they are. So um, no, I appreciate you jumping on TJ double fries. No slaw. Go check them out. They make some amazing content. I'm trying to grow up and be like them. Uh, but TJ, man, thanks a bunch for uh, pulling up and talking talking uh, ball with me. Yeah, absolutely, man. Appreciate you a ton. Always a blast. And good luck this year, man. Go get oh, it. Oh, heck yeah. Let's get it. Let's get her done. Oh, man. Thank y'all for pulling up here on uh, Unfair Sports, where we take a pensive approach to the sports conversation. Make sure you hop in the comments. Let your boy know what you think about the show. Any particular people you want to see. The goal for this one going forward is bringing on guests, different YouTubers and whatnot, and just kind of, you know, expand you know y'all's uh horizon on who all out there is making content and making good content that you can enjoy so let me know if you have a youtuber you'd love for me to uh, link up with i would love to have them here as a guest to talk about their teams all college football all the time doing our best so make sure you hit that like button if you're new to the channel subscribe and if you're listening to this rate review give us five stars you think we deserve it let's give us five anyway and gift it and so with that Y'all enjoy uh, the rest of your day. We'll have another episode probably Friday. If not, we'll go to the standard Wednesday because I want to talk about Colorado and Tennessee. It's been a bit since I made content around them, and I want to talk about some of the stuff that they're doing. So we'll do that and uh, keep the party going. With that, we'll chop it up in a few days. Peace.